1: Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher.
2: Welcome to the show. On this interview episode of On the NBA Beat, we're going to see what the buzz is about with the Charlotte Hornets this season. Our guest today is the host of Hive Talk Live, a live show that airs twice a week on the SB Nation Hornets website at the Hive. He's a longtime Hornets fan and even has an Eldon Campbell beanie baby, which he got in a giveaway at the last ever original Charlotte Hornets regular season game. Without further ado, here's Doug Branson. Doug, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. It's going well. It's going well. I'm I'm excited for
0: uh, real basketball to return.
2: Yeah, it's been a little bit. Yesterday, we actually got some big news from Hornets camp on the trade front. The Hornets traded P.J. Harrison and Brian Roberts for Courtney Lee. Can you give us a quick reaction to that, what he brings to the table for the Hornets, and also what the Hornets lost by giving up P.J. Harrison in particular?
0: Well, I think what Courtney Lee provides is a consistency at the starting wing position that the Hornets did not, it did not have with PJ Hairston and Steve Clifford commented today that Courtney Lee is a, is a smart player. He brings a professional attitude and I don't know if you can really read any subtext into that in regards to PJ Hairston, but there certainly were issues before the season. And really ever since he's been here with, uh, you know, staying in shape with having a professional attitude, with consistency on the court in terms of his three-point shooting, his defense. And, and bottom line, P.J. Hairston was a situational starter. He was in there to guard the other team's best wing to basically give Nick Batum a chance to play well offensively in the fourth quarter because if Nick Batum had, had to guard the best wing for you know, 30, 35 minutes, he's gassed by the fourth quarter, and that's when the Hornets really needed his offense. So with Courtney Lee, you get somebody who's a little more consistent and you can depend on Courtney Lee offensively and you're okay with his defense. And I just think that's what he provides, consistency.
2: And is it fair to consider this trade a signal that the Hornets will still be trying to jockey for position in the playoffs this season? I know there were also rumors that Charlotte was in talks with Houston about Dwight Howard I'm not sure I doubt anything's going to come to fruition from that but I guess before this trade especially with all the injuries that the Hornets had suffered this season people were saying maybe it's time to just consider this a loss season mainly just try to grow and build for next year but it seems like they're they're still trying to get up there
0: Yeah, yeah. Let there be no doubt. The Hornets are definitely in win-now mode. They were in that mode last season, and they just got hit with injuries to key guy after key guy. And seemingly, we've seen the sequel to that movie this season. Uh, But fortunately, Kimba Walker, the the main cog in this machine, has been able to stay healthy, knock on wood. Uh, But yeah, I think they're in win-now mode. They're definitely... It's The goal has always been win a playoff series because that's step one because the hornets haven't won a a playoff series uh since the last time that they were the hornets uh back in the early 2000s so that's step one in, in terms of this franchise and its growth because i don't think that you can attract the kind of free agents that you need to take that next step unless you can win a playoff series and say hey we're a legitimate player in the Eastern Conference. And so I think that's the goal. It was the goal last season, and, and it's certainly still the goal now.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, last season was definitely disappointing for the Hornets. And it led to a lot of people speculating that if we didn't see an improvement this season, Coach Steve Clifford might be on the hot seat. Those ideas were probably unfounded. I don't think anyone feels that way anymore about Coach Clifford with how well Charlotte has been playing despite all these injuries. How has he been able to keep the team's mentality together and keep the team afloat despite all the adversity that they've faced these past two seasons?
0: Yeah, Steve Clifford has been a model of stability for a franchise that hasn't been known to be very stable when it comes to coaching and i think the the hornets put most of those whispers to bed when they extended clifford in the offseason i think that uh the, the ownership uh, has a lot of respect for steve clifford and and his style of play and and i mean he's played he's or he's coached under the van Gundys. He, he he comes from you know good coaching backgrounds so i think there's a respect there if anyone was on the hot seat this season it was probably rich cho and the general management uh, because, and I think that's where you see this Courtney Lee deal come from, is just there's still a lot of pressure on general management to make wins happen. But in terms of Steve Clifford's style, he's no nonsense. He has an idea of what it takes to win in the NBA, and and he executes that, and he really doesn't deviate all that much Unless circumstances provide for that, he's a four-out, one-in kind of guy, and he gets that from his time in Orlando and Houston and Los Angeles with the Lakers. Uh, he, you know, he really believes in in three-point shooting, and and that certainly reflected itself in the way the Hornets play offense this season. Now that he has the personnel to execute that kind of offense, defensively, he's conservative. Uh, there's not a lot of stealing going on. Not a lot of trying to jump past lanes. And uh, offensive rebounds are not a priority. Getting back in transition defense is probably the number one priority for a Steve Clifford run team. So you know he 's just a model of of stability and and when you ask players what 's it like to play under Steve Clifford, I hear the same thing over and over, which is he tells it like it is, and we respect that and I think that 's been an asset for this team. Uh, Again, a team that has seen many coaching coaching changes over the years.
1: The Michael Kidd-Gilchrist situation is sad. It's also an interesting one. He's still only 22 years old, but the shoulder injury that was likely going to keep him out much of the season, he came back from pretty quickly. Unfortunately, he re-injured that same shoulder, and now he is out for the rest of the season. The Hornets are clearly a better team with him. He's just such a strong defender. He came into the league as a strong long defender but I think we've seen some growth in his offense. Still has a long way to go. But how much concern is there around his future and his development given the repeated shoulder injuries? I know he's still really young.
0: Yeah, he is really young. I I mean, certainly there's concern. Any time you see a pattern and a history of injuries uh, with a guy you get concerned uh, the one thing that you could point to to alleviate some of that concern is that a lot of these injuries have been you know freak injuries uh, they haven't been mm-hmm. uh, you know situations with like a foot or a knee over and over where you really go man this could be an absolute a career ender ending you know type of injury or re-injury uh, but yeah i mean his uh, the stats don't lie the Hornets are much better with MKG when, when he's on the court and when he's healthy. And then the eye test. I mean, the, the little things that he does energy-wise uh, that, that impact the team are just off the charts. And guys are fueled by his energy and by his intensity. And it, it was certainly uh, just a killer uh, when, he, uh, when he went down again. But I will say this. So he goes down with a shoulder injury in October, and he comes back, and all of a sudden he's hitting three-pointers from the corner. So I joked on Twitter that maybe he maybe he comes back from this shoulder injury, and he's got Steph Curry range. Who knows? <laughs> but the Hornets—
1: I don't know if you saw Rookie of the Year, that, that yeah, exactly. baseball movie where a guy breaks his arm and— all of a sudden, you could throw 100 miles per hour. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mk. Yeah. That totally. MKG is totally uh, could be the, the rookie we, of the we year may not situation.
1: That expectations that high, probably a little short of Steph Curry. It, but Maybe. any any improvement if from his Lillen, shooting would be tremendous. Yeah. But if you add Roland Gartner to his last name, it would definitely <laughs> not fit on the back of his
0: face. <laughs> that's great. That's a great. That's a great yeah. uh, 90s classic <laughs> pull there.
1: Yeah, Al Jefferson is another guy who's battled injuries here, but the team has found a way to be successful without him. Just describe the difference in style of play. There's obviously a huge difference with Big Al off the court.
0: I'd say that was probably the case a year ago. This season, we've seen his role transition a little bit. Uh, he's getting when he was healthy, he was getting less minutes. And he was less of a central focus of the offense as opposed to Big Al a year ago or a Big Al two years ago. Uh, I would say, I mean, it's still four out, one in most of the time with Big Al or without Big Al. I would just say what he brings is size. And when he's gone, that's what the Hornets are missing is that size underneath uh, in terms of rebounding and on defense, a lot of people have pointed out that when Big Al is on the floor, the defense can space a little bit. They can get out on the perimeter, and this team is is a better perimeter defensive team when Big Al is on the floor because he does take up so much space in the middle, and then when he's out, the entire team has to focus on stopping rim runs and, and stopping cuts and so the floor shrinks a little bit on defense and the Hornets have been exposed on the perimeter pretty much the entire period that Big Al has not been on the floor. So, you know, B- Big Al is still able to knock down shots underneath and-, and I think he can still provide something for this team and we- I think we just got news today that uh, Al Jefferson could make his debut on Friday versus the Bucks, but I wouldn't expect him to get too many minutes it looks like he's still getting into game shape uh, although Clifford uh, yeah, Steve, they should he, be cautious. yeah head coach Steve Clifford did say that the knee uh, that Big Al has been dealing with uh, looks stronger than ever so Hornets fans have a little bit of hope there with, with Big Al in, in the second half of the season
1: Kemba Walker whom you described earlier as the main cog he might not be in the elite tier of point guards just yet But he's developed into a strong offensive player, for sure. And many people thought he should have made the All-Star team this season. How has he been able to make those strides? And how instrumental has he been to the Hornets' success?
0: He's a gym rat. I mean, that's all it is. It's just time in the gym. He spent an enormous amount of time in the offseason focusing on getting his three-point shot to the point where it had to be respected. That was the focus to get the three-point shot to the point where he could come off a screen pull up and if the if the defender decided to go under kimball walker could make that defender pay and he certainly has this season and again i think it's just it's a testament you know the hornets lost their shooting coach in the offseason mark price who is now coaching for unc charlotte head coach of unc charlotte and Mark Price was instrumental in not only helping MKG fix his shot, but he also worked with Kimba Walker uh, two years ago to, to help improve his shot. And it's a testament to the coaching staff that they were able to keep that work going with both MKG and Kimba Walker uh, despite the loss of Mark Price. But yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it sounds like a simple answer, but that's really all it is. I mean, both Kimba and MKG live in the gymnasium and it's paying off big time for for both of them.
1: A guy whose percentage is not that high this season, um, Nicholas Batum, whom the Hornets acquired in the offseason, he's so versatile, but some believe he's played short of his potential. He's a free agent this upcoming offseason. Do you expect the Hornets to stick with him? And if so, what kind of contract do you think he merits?
0: The contract issue is a funny one. I think the Hornets will do everything they can to keep... Nicholas Batum within reason, within you know whatever the market has to say. But despite w- whatever struggles he's had game-to-game game with shooting, he has brought an element of playmaking that the Hornets have missed since they lost Josh McRoberts. And, and I think he has been just as valuable as Kimball Walker has been this season. Now, Nick Batum was bothered by a pretty ferocious ankle injury uh that kind of went under the radar but reports were that it was was a pretty swollen ugly ankle and uh or a foot injury and you know i I think that's going to hurt his game in particular because he loves to uh, come off that dribble handoff and pull up and and his movement was was really hurt excuse me it was a toe injury it was a, a a pretty gross toe injury that made his whole foot and ankle swell uh, to the point where, where people were calling it ugly. And, and that really restricted his movement. So I think just like the wrist injury, uh, the last season they played with Portland, he's been hobbled by this weird injury, and it's hurt his shooting percentages. But his playmaking ability, his ability to pass and drive the lane, and that dribble handoff play that, that the Hornets run over and over with Nick Batum have been crucial parts of their offensive renaissance this season
1: Batum has also really helped the team from three last season Charlotte ranked 24th in the league in three pointers attempted now they're third something like a, a 67% increase in attempts what's going on there
0: Well, it's just Steve Clifford, again, has always been a four-out, one-in kind of coach where you spread the floor as much as possible. And Clifford recognizes where the NBA is going, and that's towards three-pointers and getting to the line. And I just think that this season... I mean, they overhauled their entire bench. It's not just – it hasn't just been Nick Batum. It's been Jeremy Lamb, Jeremy Lin, their draft pick, Frank Kaminsky, can hit three. Spencer Hawes has knocked down – he doesn't take many, but he's knocking them down more efficiently than he has in the past few years. And and it's just simply personnel. I I mean, Clifford, I think, finally has the guys to execute the offense he wants. I mean, had the the Hornets last season taken this many threes – the percentages would have been in the basement because they just didn't have the personnel. uh, Not only that could hit the threes, but that could even get open because, you know, there was no, there was no respect. I mean, it was easy to shut this team down uh, from beyond the arc because they, they couldn't space the floor. So now they can space the floor. Now they can get better, better looks. And the whole offense is designed around getting those three point opportunities and knocking them down.
1: And in terms of percentage, last season the Hornets were thirtieth, dead last in three point. And this season they're fourteenth, so they're around middle of the pack now.
0: Yeah, and, and again, I think it's it's all about really it's all about attempts. It's about you know recognizing this whole idea of you know effective field goal percentage and, and true shooting percentage, and understanding that. Yeah, I think it's just a recognition of where the NBA is going, and this team finally having the personnel to execute that strategy
2: yeah and as you mentioned the Hornets bench especially in the early part of the season before they got hit with all of these injuries was a big bright point and a big reason why they were able to peak at number two getting off to such a strong start in my opinion as you mentioned they got good contributions from Jeremy Lamb Jeremy Lin's playing his role Cody Zeller Frank Kaminsky how have they found cohesion in that group been able to work together and perform well
0: yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd thing because it certainly wasn't a given that what we call Bench Force One, what fans call Bench Force One, this Lynn Lamb, Kaminsky, Hawes combination uh, could gel as quickly as they did. And I think. It comes down to bringing guys in that know how to make plays. So Batum plays a lot with these guys. He can pass the ball. Jeremy Lin is a dynamic playmaker. He can get his own shot, but he likes to create for others as well. Spencer Hawes is an underrated passer, and Frank Kaminsky coming in as a rookie, he's still trying to find his way, but you know he also has a superior court vision for his experience within the league and so when you put that many players who are a unselfish and b can find opportunities for other guys good things are are normally going to happen they've they've struggled recently it's it's been an odd thing because early on in the season the starters played very uh, poorly and it was bench force 1 that really lifted these guys up in late november early december the script has flipped a little bit, where the starters recently, since MKG returned, were playing really well, and then the bench dropped off a little bit. So now that MKG is out of the lineup, I, I, the Hornets have to hope that Bench Force One can can get off the ground again and, and help carry this team through the second half of the schedule.
2: Yeah, another role player that, in my mind, is finding some success with the Hornets after a rocky start to his career, is Marvin Williams. People remember him as being taken with the number two pick ahead of guys like CP3, Darren Williams, and never really achieving the potential that people thought he could have. But it seems like he's found a niche on the Hornets. So what's his role, and how has he been able to find that success but
0: Well, people want to give him the label of glue guy, and we're not talking about Elmer's glue. This isn't your kindergarten glue. This guy is super glue. This guy is industrial strength glue. He has found an intensity and an energy on the offensive boards, uh, on the defensive Well, I think he's averaging somewhere around six and a half, seven rebounds a game. It's insane for a guy uh, that didn't really show that in the past couple of years. Uh, he's been able to knock down early threes that set the tone for the offense. Uh, if you look across Charlotte Hornets games this season, he's normally the first player to score. They run a play for him early, get him into the action, and, and get him to knock down a three to to really set the tone for this offense. And he's just been a guy that will get an offensive putback and then yell, you know, primal scream at Time Warner Cable Arena, gets the crowd into it, gets the bench into it, gets his teammates into it. And he's just been an amazing player. I talked to him in the offseason, and he wanted to make sure everyone knew that he had a new off-season regimen. It was all about cardio. It was all about you know uh, being able to give a little more in terms of stamina out on the floor, and you know all of us were like, oh okay, cool. And then we see what he's been able to do this season. Like, okay, I'm going to go hit the treadmill if that's what this guy can do with a little more cardio. All right, I'm I'm hitting the treadmill because uh, he he's been amazing out there, and he it really has been a, a central reason why the Hornets have overachieved. I mean, for this team to be successful. You would have to have performances like Marvin Williams, and they're going to have to continue to have performances where guys play way outside their expectations for, for this team to get to the playoffs and to sneak up on a team and, and perhaps bounce a team that didn't think that they would get bounced. You're going to have to have guys that, that play way outside of their expectations, and Marvin Williams has certainly been that guy.
1: During the draft, there was a rumor that Danny Ainge and the Celtics offered the Hornets as many as four future draft picks in exchange for their number nine pick. Would you have taken that offer if it actually existed, or do you...
0: That's the point. Yeah, let's highlight that. If it actually... This godfather deal. Who knows? This was such a crazy thing. And and I've... Heard it from fans who you know, wanted justice or just wanted the draft picks. They were they were all uh, down, uh, especially on draft night, about th- that decision that may or may not have presented itself. I just think if if you know if you have a feeling that a guy is your guy, you have to shoot your shot. This is shoot your shot twenty sixteen. You have to go for it because this is all a giant gamble and it's the reality of where the Hornets are. They are in win-now mode. And I think once you're in a certain mode and once you make maneuvers to win now, the worst thing you can do is to then waffle on that strategy. I just feel like you you can't fence right in the NBA or you will get stuck. That's a perfect way to start spinning your tires and end up the eighth seed for three years in a row. I mean, you have to pick a strategy, either we're tanking or we're going to win now, and once you pick that strategy, every decision that you make needs to reflect that. And, and I just think the Hornets honed in on Frank Kaminsky; they they saw something in him, and you know, I think it's certainly some of those things have have bared themselves out. I mean, he's been able to knock down three pointers, and he's doing some things in his post game that are remarkable for a rookie. And you know, we'll just have to see where it goes. But this is all a gamble. And, you know, I just, I think, I just respect the decision from a standpoint of the Hornets had had a strategy, they had a direction that they were sending this franchise in, and they stuck with it.
2: Yeah, that's a great point that you brought up. It's great to have all these assets, but you definitely need to have a vision for how you're going to use them. And it seems like the Hornets, you know, they picked the path, as you said, and the proposed trade, the rumored trade, I should say. Would have probably taken them away from it. That brings me to the question: One of the biggest faces around your team, obviously, is Michael Jordan as the owner. What?
0: Who? I'm sorry. Who? Michael? Michael? Michael Jordan? Who is this?
2: Yeah. Boring <laughs> uh, little guy. Now. Happy br- <laughs> By the way, Jordan. it's by
0: the way, it's MJ's birthday today. When we record this, anyway, on Wednesday, it's his birthday. So, happy birthday, MJ.
2: Happy birthday. So, I just wanted to ask: What are the pros and cons <laughs> of having such a big face as the owner of your team? I think the biggest con
0: is that he invites criticism because he was the greatest or arguably the greatest player of all time. And he has been seen by many as one of the worst basketball managers, whether president of operations or general managers or now owners uh, he, he's he been seen as one of the worst of all time. And whether that's fair or not is a, is another discussion, but that's the criticism that he invites. And so whenever it's rumored that Michael Jordan makes a unilateral decision, that decision, whether it makes sense or not, seems to invite immediate criticism. So I think that's the con. But I think the pro, and this is a really big pro, and it's unique because no other team has – an owner that played the game as well as Michael Jordan did and the, the pro is that he can give advice and it means something and and he can interact with the players in a way that really no other owner can and he shows restraint in doing that and he hasn't i don't think you can i don't think you can meddle with a guy like Steve Clifford again i said Clifford's no nonsense so I don't think you could meddle with a guy like that and have him hang around or or sign that contract extension that he signed. So I I think he knows when to back off and let his people do what they do. And I think to a certain extent he doesn't really want to be all that involved in the day-to-day. I mean he's you know he's got a lot of other things to manage like Jordan Brand and and you know enjoying you know not not playing anymore and and the time that that allows you. Uh, But I I think the big pro is that he can interact with players in a way that no other owner can.
1: The Hornets are amazing at Time Warner Cable Arena, but there's such a huge disparity between their record there and on the road. Aside from the amazing wireless connection that a Time Warner Cable Arena would have... You'd be surprised. do Do you have any other possible explanations for such a huge disparity, one of the largest in the league?
0: I mean, when you ask them, they they have no idea. I think it's, you you know, you can obviously see that they bring a a level of focus and intensity when they're in Charlotte that they don't have on the road. So, but but what's causing that? I think it's a little bit of a mystery. If I had to speculate, I would just say that I I think 47% of this team turned over from last season. So while there's turnover in every NBA roster, that's that's a reality of the NBA. Uh, You know, when you turn over basically your entire bench and and you when you experience the the number of injuries to key guys that the Hornets have and and you understand what that does to rotations, I, I think there's there could be a little bit of explanation there. And uh, there hasn't been the consistency in rotations. There hasn't been the consistency in, in rosters that I think you need to develop to take your show on the road. But that's really I mean that's kind of a, a BS excuse. I mean these guys they they've got to play uh I believe nineteen of their last twenty nine uh on the road so i mean they've you know they've got to figure it out and figure it out quick and a lot of these road contests that they have coming up are are tough road contests in april when when they will uh hornets fans hope they'll be vying for you know one of the bottom half slots of the eastern conference playoffs they've got to play the top three teams in the east in their building cleveland toronto and boston so the hornets have to figure it out and figure it out quick if they want to make the playoffs on the road
2: Yeah, the Hornets actually finished the pre-All-Star break off strong with a lot of quality wins. They've won eight of their last 11 games, including mixed in there some blowouts, some nail braiders over Orlando and Sacramento. So what would you say are the keys to carrying that momentum over through the All-Star break once the basketball starts again this week? I
0: just think it's doing the things that have made them successful. It's not as, I mean, this team has had stretches, and I look to that stretch at the end of November and the beginning of December when this team, without MKG, starting P.J. Hairston and Al Jefferson, this team was a top-10 offensive team and a top-10 defensive team. That's what they have to find again. They've lost their way defensively and they have to find that ability to be a good defensive team and they have to be a team-rebounding team because the Hornets do not have the size of a a Milwaukee Bucks who who out-rebounded them pretty tremendously. The Knicks have out-rebounded them this year in a couple of games. Chicago has done the same thing. They struggle against those teams that have uh, three or four monsters that they can throw at them underneath. And that's all that's all inside. That's all heart. I mean, you have to be able to get a body on a body underneath and and get the defensive rebounds when you need them. And that's a that goes for the starters. And and Marvin Williams will continue to help with that. But I think you look at a guy like Jeremy Lamb uh, uh, on the bench and, and Spencer Halls as well. I mean, those guys have to do a good job of rebounding in order for this team to continue to be successful in the second half of the season.
2: Well, I hope that happens. I hope the Hornets are able to make a little bit of a splash in the playoffs, as they hope. We got a lot of great knowledge from you today, Doug. I think we're going to close it out there. Thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you, and it was great talking to you.
0: Thanks for having me, and and I'll close it out with what we say at the end of every Hive Talk Live, and that's stay bought in, stay believing, all hail the teal and purple.
2: That was Doug Branson, host of Hive Talk Live, which you can catch on at the Hive on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We hope you enjoyed the interview, and on behalf of my co-hosts Aaron and Joshua, this is Lauren Lee Chen. We hope you keep tuning in and stay on the NBA beat.